I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this, I'm looking for projects. You got anything? Yeah. I'm, I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me. Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? Well, buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging, the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. Where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like, how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. Season one featured founders Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris, owners of Level Studio Architecture, are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening, stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that <laughs> then, you know, in your head, you've rooted like, oh, I'm connected to these people, like long-term. The process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges, demanding meticulous planning, flawless execution, and unyielding resilience. I kind of hate the term because it's so overly used, but I think everybody knows imposter syndrome. And I think it's it's so real to this day. I, I, I don't know if it's with everybody, but with me, I'm always questioning like us, can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? <laughs> we did it, guys. Oh my the one that God. came out of nowhere. Woo! It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success. Hello, my name is Demetrius. This is Michelle. Hey, everyone. And this is Jason. Hey, guys. And you're listening to Spaces Podcast. Thank you for coming back, everyone. Uh, it's been a little bit. Sorry about the delay, but we uh, finally were able to get together and, and get this one recorded for you. For our survey, feel free to go ahead and continue doing the survey, but we're closing it out for uh, giving away the $25 gift card. And the winner of that is Katie Kangas from Kodak Architectural Group. Congratulations, Katie. But again, we'll, we'll have the banner up for our, our survey for a little bit. Feel free to go ahead and continue to fill that out. Um, it's on our website at the top. And if you haven't done so already, go ahead and subscribe and like the show. Um, you can do so now or after the show if you do like it, if you're a new listener. So today we're talking about technology. Tech. Revolution. But first, we want to catch up, uh, see how everyone's doing. Michelle, how has your uh, few weeks been since since our last recording? When did we last record? Was that two uh, weeks ago, three weeks ago? I want to say three weeks. Three weeks ago. Okay. Well, I guess the maybe most significant, well, I shouldn't even say it's the most significant, but I was at a conference last week in Las Vegas uh, that is put on by IMN, which 
I actually don't even know that I am confident of what the acronym is. It's information management, I think. And then I'm maybe information management network, but essentially it was a private equity and land and home building conference. And so it was a, a kind of a meeting for people that are in the debt and equity spaces for land and home building. A lot of attorneys who draft land banking contracts and transactional contracts between parties and then a lot of different home builders and real estate development companies looking for debt and equity. So kind of a good form to meet and hear what the capital is chasing and sort of just what the sentiments are in the home building and real estate industry right now. So kind of some interesting tidbits there. And, you know, I think we can all sort of read the headlines and there's some mixed emotions about what those headlines really mean. I heard someone say, you know, the headlines are talking about a slowdown in the housing industry, but that doesn't mean that the housing industry is slow. (laughs) So I think there's a lot of people that are sort of just cautiously optimistic. For me, the conference was, was so, so I've attended the same conference in the last, I guess this was my fourth year attending. And I would say this year was sort of the one time where the panels I thought were somewhat repetitive. And it was sort of like we got the message of, of, you know, what interest rates are doing and what, uh, you know, that, that affordability is really, really tough, that there's just simply not enough supply that governmental restrictions continue to increase and that we have incredible labor shortages that are just putting pressure on, on everyone. So it's kind of the same thing as like sort of as soon as you grasp onto that message, you were like, okay, give me something more. Yeah. (laughs) And you know, that's something more I'm not sure ever came, but nonetheless, a very good conference. Las Vegas is always fun. Although I will say, you know, I had actually spent the conference was a Monday, Tuesday. I spent the weekend prior to the conference beginning with some friends and by the time I was leaving on Tuesday, I was like, get me out of here. <laughs> yeah. uh, so so I think there's a, a time limit of how much time you can actually spend in Las Vegas. Oh, um, for but sure. But a good conference. Yeah. Jason, how, how's your uh, three weeks been? Yeah. I, you know, and I got to obviously take ownership for the fact of uh, one of the reschedules. But, you know, things for, for I feel horribly redundant, but we're in the midst and the full swing of fourth quarter at this point. And uh, even my family knows that uh, during fourth quarter, like, don't count on me for anything um, because we just go so fast and so furious with installs and needs of our builder partners and stuff like that. I mean, we have some builder partners that have year ends in November and some that have year ends in December. So, you know, it's a lot of it's a lot of sprinting to the finish line. So is that um, Jason, is that just builder builder partners just trying to close out? Uh, the last wave of of um, blocks that they're trying to sell, or what's the? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, ultimately, it's you know you've got every every builder has a plan that they want to hit, obviously, and then some of the publics have to hit those plans. So there's there's just a lot of okay, we got to sell, we got to get this one in and closed. You know what I mean? And there's a lot of those last rush. You know, maybe we were banking on these homes were the ones that were going to close, but those didn't sell and these ones did. So let's pull those forward and do that type of stuff. Yeah. So there's a lot of jockeying around for time and positioning. And we've got a lot of schedule changes these days because, as Michelle mentioned, there's a there's a labor shortage. So a lot of the trades that are in the homes before we are um, aren't keeping pace. And so, you know, I 
heck, uh, the other day we went to go deliver cabinets and had confirmed three days before that, yeah, they were going to be ready. And then we showed up and they weren't ready because um, the trade that hits right before us uh, just uh, pretty much didn't show up. Yeah. Um, so we're getting a lot of that type of stuff, which which adds some additional you know consternation to, to what we're dealing with. Um, so there's a lot of manage you know managing of, of different buyers, if you will, all the time. Um, you know, long hours, that type of stuff. So, uh, so yeah. So it's you know it's just been busy, and like I said, I, I think I, I have to take ownership for one of the reschedules just because I had some people calling sick and uh, I had to deal with a few things that day. So I apologize for that. But yeah, things are things are moving at a pretty good pace. It's a time of year that I actually love, just because it's fun. I think to have to deal with those things and and put uh, solutions to problems. Um, and then you know, family life too. It, nothing, nothing slows down, man. It only goes faster. I had somebody tell me that a long time ago. Yeah. Life never slows down; it only accelerates. And uh, I think about eight years ago, when he told me that, I kind of laughed at him. But man, was he right? Yeah. Uh, so I had a, a interesting few weeks. Um, Went to Dallas for a bachelor party. Got to see the the Cowboys Stadium for for the first time. I'm a huge Cowboys fan, so um, I'll I'll go into more detail when we get to our stadium episode. But that was a lot of fun. Um, I do have to give a shout out to uh, one guy, Jeremy uh, from Amertech, who got me a free drink on the plane flight there. So uh, got me started for my weekend, and then. Um, if you're ever in Dallas, there is a amazing uh, steakhouse that we went to called Y.O. Ranch Steakhouse. Had a prime rib, and then we had, uh, what was it, Gouda macaroni and cheese and goat cheese grits that the entire table just devoured. Uh, so if you're ever in Dallas, check, those out, check them out, Y.O. Ranch Steakhouse. Uh, really good food really good service um and oh and then this past weekend a group of friends and i we've been trying to do this annual trip uh friends trip where we rent a house and hang out for for the weekend a few days and uh we rented this um vrbo uh the vacation rental uh website rented a house in temecula um this was this house was crazy it uh in the backyard they had a kind of a game area with pool, ping pong, foosball. Then they had the you know normal swimming pool, a hot tub, and then you go uh, a little further and there's a, a putting green. And down at the bottom of the property, they had a a, a space where you could play different games or, or lay out. Uh, so we did bocce ball and giant checkers. Uh, had a fire three i think three fire pits so one night we did s'mores and uh hung around the fire uh barbecued and and just got together and ate so uh if you have a group of friends it's uh something i definitely recommend trying to do uh i got the idea from a friend of mine that i used to work with and it was just something that that i was like oh we got to do this and uh we're on our second year so uh definitely a cool thing to to pass along and if I can get everybody's approval, I may uh, I may try and upload a, a short little clip summing up the weekend just so people can see kind of uh, what these vacation properties look like and, um, and that whole industry that's kind of growing. So 
let's go ahead and, and jump into the topic, kind of addressing some of the issues that you mentioned, Jason, of, of being behind and stuff. And we always talked about early on um, in previous episodes and just a common thought that our industry has been kind of slow in development. And now that we had a conversation about this earlier or a few times, but the tech industry is starting to creep in and coming at a fast and furious pace now. Uh, there was a recent article on Curb.com that uh, discussed how the tech industry investments have increased. From 2008, global investments totaled at $4.5 million, uh, across only two deals. And just in 2017, the industry saw $882.3 million of investment and then they're predicting, or they probably hit by August 2018, $1.38 billion of investment across 61 different deals. One of the consulting firms in the article that saw these investments and introduction of technology to our industry would make improvements that would increase our annual uh, income uh, at an estimated $1.6 trillion of improvement in annual output. So that is a staggering number. You know, I'm really, it's kind of interesting what you just said. It's like, if, if those numbers are really true, right? Like, if that's really what it is, because the, the struggle that I have with a lot of what we're talking about as far as tech and investment into the homes, I haven't seen it so much on the construction side. I mean, we did a podcast a long time ago, uh, one of the first we did about, you know, manufacturing homes offsite, obviously, and delivered into the job site, kind of panelized and putting together a bit quicker, you know, we're still not seeing a lot of that out here. And as far as tech, you know, on the job site itself, it is still super low tech. Now, if we want to talk about tech that they're integrating into the house, which I know Michelle will talk a little bit about or has some input on, I mean, you're seeing all the stuff with Alexa and the, the, you know, the home automation. There's a lot of that that's being put out there. But as far as the actual construction where you're looking at you know, speeding up the process or limiting the amount of hands that have to, you know, touch the process. I haven't seen that come through just yet. Yeah. Um, and so I think, I think what I'd be, you know, and, and that doesn't mean it's not occurring, but I think that's really where the focus has to be on. And I believe when we're talking primarily about tech, it's, it's the after stuff that the end user gets to, gets to see and feel and play with. You know what I'm saying? Not necessarily that you put the house together in half the time it originally took or, uh, you know, whatever that was. So I think I think that's the definition we have to look at, because as I said, it, you know, when you go to a job site these days, they're still putting stucco up the same way. Most of the guys are still doing a three coat system instead of the one coat with the foam and, and those types of things. Um, yeah, there's been little innovations like PEX plumbing. So you're not doing just copper. It's a little bit quicker to do that. You know, but the biggest invention still to these days that, that, you know, modernized or sped everything up was the nail gun. And the nail gun was freaking 40 years ago, 50 years ago. Yeah. I mean, whatever, whatever that was, I mean, that's still considered to be like the biggest innovation. You know what I mean? Um, so on the actual construction side of stuff, we're still quite behind. So I'm curious to, to see, you know, the thoughts on where, where people see that tech being integrated into it. Is it really just on the end user side? Yeah, so there is uh, kind of that end-user side, but there's also some stuff that may may not have made its way to the home-building space just yet, just because of the, um, Michelle, you mentioned it before, the tight margins that the home-building has. 
it may not have made it its way made its way down just yet but i think we're probably right on the horizon so a few of the things like uh wearable technology i don't know if you've seen any of this in the field jason but there's um it's kind of weird to say but smart clothing which has like uh sensors in it that will alert the the lead um lead contractor or or field guy uh about employee uh productivity if they're starting to slow down and kind of can tell their their temperature and and things like that yeah i haven't i definitely haven't seen it i think the main reason why is it's expensive yeah and when you're talking about guys wearing wearable technology that are carrying lumber and you know doing all sorts of different things like that you're probably going to wreck it and then for two i don't know if it's a secondary vest you put on or whatever but if it's integrated into the actual clothing like how many pieces of those are you going to provide for the guys yeah to be able to wear when they're going to just destroy stuff every two weeks you know what i mean because they're out there five or six days a week you're not going to be wearing the same thing you know yeah yeah, I think some are like jackets that uh, have fans and, and cooling, sort of mini cooling coils that'll keep you cooler uh, while you're out in the field. I would imagine they're made pretty durable, but that is out there. Uh, I don't know if you've seen the HoloLens that I saw a demo on YouTube where uh, it's like the, the augmented reality headset and the model of the building is basically locked into space so let's say you have your um your your slab your concrete slab pouring already and and dried uh and you can lock the framing model in space and each individual stud will be projected in front of you where it needs to go so there's no measuring anymore you just go and just nail it down where it is and it speeds up uh the work now that sounds like something that could be totally legit yeah, that would be great. One thing that I did see, and I and it, I don't know, it'd be neat if it makes it into our space. Yet. It hasn't made it into our space, but I want to say BMW is using um, almost like exoskeletons with a lot of their plant workers. Yeah, I saw um, that. Have you seen that? Yeah. And I thought that was pretty cool because it's taking a lot of like the the workers comp type stuff, you know, out of, out of the way because it's able to help with weight and load and, and disbursement and fatigue. Yeah. Um, I thought that was kind of cool, but I, I mean, I definitely haven't seen it come our way just yet. Yeah. I was just going to say all of that sounds so futuristic and it's hard <laughs> to imagine a world where we're wearing, you know, technology clothes or we have a, a gadget over our eye that's, you know, projecting our calendar, whatever it may be. Yeah. Um, but but then you think about just how quickly technology does shift. And, you know, you think back 10 years ago, we literally didn't have iPads. Yeah. I mean, iPads iPads did not exist 10 years ago. I, I don't know the exact year, but I know it was after 2008. They existed um, in the Back to the Future movie. Right. <laughs> and one of the one of the debates that was discussed at the conference in Las Vegas that I was just at was the the concept of driverless cars and how that driverless car is going to have an impact on home building and really the real estate industry at large, particularly, you know, retail and lifestyle centers, commercial buildings, office buildings, things like of that nature. And, you know, the panelists were sitting up there and they actually took a pretty conservative viewpoint and were adamant that, you know, that was so far off in the future that had, it was not going to have any 
any short-term implication on home building or how we do business. And I actually happen to be sitting next to a pretty senior level consultant based out of New York City who, you know, analyzes home builders um, as part of her career. And she took a very contra well, not even controversial. She just had a very polar opposite viewpoint. She actually Googled an image of New York City and I want to say it was 19, 1909 or 1913. It was kind of in the early 1900s. And you looked at the street and there was one car and everything else was horse buggies. Yeah. <laughs> and then she pulled up the exact same image. And it was only, you know, I think it was like 10 years later. And the entire same street view was all cars and no horse buggies. Yeah. And it's just really telling how quickly that technology changes you know, you look at our industry and I think there's there's no doubt that the home building industry in particular is ripe for a disruption of some kind. Mm-hmm. And in all of the panels um, in sort of real estate trade organization, industry events that I've been to, there's a lot of talk about this very topic. Um, and in particular, uh, as it relates to labor and the shortages and how we speed up our processes there's all this conversation about offsite construction. Yeah. And, you know, is there going to be a rise in offsite construction? And you've seen, I think there's two companies that I know of, uh, one called Integra, which is, I believe, based in Ireland and Southern California. Uh, there's another company called Katera. Mm-hmm. And I don't know a lot about them, but I think the biggest challenge that, that both of those companies are going to have is how they join with the publicly traded home builders and even the regional or larger private home builders like the city ventures who I work with or work for, uh, that, you know, how are, how are you going to take that offsite construction technology and integrate it into a process that has always worked? So, so that's the big question. Yeah, we talked about that in our offsite construction episode. So uh, anyone listening, if you're interested specifically in that you can go back. I think it's episode two. Touched a little bit on Integra um, and and all the different uh, facets of offsite construction. But I wanted to mention in that space recently the the elephant in a room. Amazon just invested in a um, a custom home uh, prefabricated construction company called uh, Plant Prefab. I I say this several times. They're coming whether people realize it or not, um, Amazon will get into the home building industry one way or another. And I think they're just slowly starting to show their hand more and more. Uh, they're starting with kind of the internal stuff with Alexa and whatnot. But uh, I think I think they're going to come very quickly. Like, what's the point? Like, why why do you want to be in home building so bad? You know what I mean? Like, I get I get owning the land and the development side and selling it off, but having to deal with the other headaches of it, unless they're just doing it because they're trying to solve a problem, you know what I mean? And, and that being affordable housing, potentially, and that type of stuff. Yeah. It kind of cracks me up. But, you know, one of the things we talked about was, you know, when are, when are we going to look at doing all this offsite and everything else? The answer to that is we're going to look at offsite construction when it's finally realized that we can't hit the pace and we can't provide the amount of labor needed to build what the builders want to build. Yeah. It's not going to happen because somebody wants to be a pioneer. Nobody wants to do that. And most of the generation that's out there right now that's running these companies, 
they're, they certainly don't want to put stick their neck out there. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's only going to happen when there's such a need derived that you have no other choice. It's I, like, look, we had a business plan to build a thousand homes this year. We're only going to be able to hit 500. We got to figure something else out. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like that tends to be when people finally make that shift. I think it's going to come by those companies that have the capital to to stick their neck out like Amazon and Google. Um, I That's how I perceive that it's going to happen first. Because I, I, I don't think, um, like you said, no one wants to be the one to jump out there. But if you have an unlimited uh, bank account, um, you can you can do that. You can afford to do so or pay someone to do it for you which is what it sounds like they're probably going to do. Which which I agree, because if you look at it historically, too, it either comes out of need, right, because there's just no other solution. Or the other thing is, like, the ones that took that first stab at it here was uh, RSI Home Products, right, Ron Simon. Yeah. Well, the guy basically said, look, I got so much money, I don't care. I think there's a better way to do it, and I'm just going to go do it because I want to. Yeah. And prove the fact that I can do it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And and that might be more the vein in which you're referring to with like Amazon and some of these other ones where they're like, look, I know I can do this and I know there's a better way to do it. So I'm just going to go do it myself. Yep. You know, I mean, that's, yeah, I think in a lot of cases for an Amazon or a Google or some of the other, you know, larger behemoth tech companies, part of it is just literally simply trying to find a solution for how they house their employees. You know, the, the, the markets that those companies are based in, it's next to impossible to find, you know, attainable housing. I'm not even going to use the word affordable, but just attainable housing. And so I think they're looking, you know, as it is, they have, you know, company buses that are busing people, you know, hour, hour and a half from different locales around the Bay Area to get them to their offices. So I think in some ways it's sort of just, you know, you take a tech company, they're forward thinking, they're innovative, they're entrepreneurial, and they have a boatload of capital. So who better poised to sort of invest and explore this idea and at the same time, maybe find a solution for how they, you know, offer more to employees that are working for them. Uh, It's a theory and I'm not saying that that's, you know, factor of any kind, but just kind of a thought that, that, you know, they're well positioned to to really be the disruptor to an industry that's sort of done things the same way for the last 200 years. Yeah, I think, I think that's a great point. I really do. I think that's a fantastic point. They're almost solving their own problem. I think that's smart. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so let's jump ahead on uh, some other things in construction. Jason, I don't know if anyone, if you know anyone that's using uh, management software. There's there's uh, been advancements in management software that that give you all kind of data that that you need um without having to you know go and question people on status and and all these different things and it links links job sites together so you can better manage your uh, manpower yeah let's talk about management software (laughs) so every builder and every account that we deal with has their own version of management not their own version but some version of management software that they utilize there's one very fatal flaw to trying to implement these things. The information that is in these management software templates and in the system that anybody in the corporate office, let's say, is going to go look at is highly predicated upon the fact that the individuals that are in the field actually understand how to utilize and update that information. Yeah. And let me tell you, the individuals that are in the field, 99% of the time, are not doing it properly. Yeah. It's not even close. It's never right. I mean, it's almost, and it's sad 
because there's you know hundreds of thousands of dollars that are spent on things like this to utilize, which could be fantastic, but they just they just don't use it like it's meant to be used. Mm -hmm. So it ends up being honestly quite useless in a lot of ways. So we'll get in, in a lot of situations we're scheduled either company that I work with. We're scheduled to go do a job. We have to either A, call and verify that that date is correct. Most of the time it's not. Or B, go visually find out if the job site's really going to be ready based on what those templates and that timing says. Yeah. It, it just, it just doesn't work. And like I said, the, the, the program itself is probably fantastic. Like, and I'm not, and I'm not saying that tongue in cheek. It's probably great, but it has to be utilized by the user in a proper way to make the information that it's providing useful. And, and that's where Jason is spot on. Yeah. Jason is spot on. And it's, it's kind of ironic timing that we're talking about it. We just sent a team from our accounting group and a couple of individuals from our purchasing group to Nashville for a national convention on new star and new star enterprises. It's an enterprise resource planning software system uh, with the intent to grow home building condo and land development business, right? So it's, it's basically designed for residential construction project projects and business management. I mean, it's exactly what Jason's talking about, but the power of that software is only so good as the training that is provided to the individuals who are actually using that software. And unfortunately, you know, when you get into a company that is, you know, hundred people, 200 people, 500 people, 2000 people, right? Depending on the size of this home builder. And you think about the layers and you think about the, the folks that are literally in the field managing the projects, people that are, you know, in the office ordering drywall and lumber and kitchen sinks and faucets. And then the folks that are managing the accounting of, of all of these uh, purchases, you know, if there's not sort of a seamless connection between all those levels, you're really not getting the best out of that software. Michelle's 100% correct. I mean, we both agree on this entirely. And if it was utilized properly, it ties all the way from the front to the back and then back up to the front again, and it makes things seamless. So whether it's billing, whether it's receiving, whether it's whatever it is, you know, the whole idea behind a lot of these software programs was, hey, it makes billing so much easier for you guys. Once you're done, you know, you automatically get paid. Well, we automatically get paid if that individual goes in there and confirms that we're done based off the fact that he knew how to schedule it anyways. You yeah. know what I mean? But the thing that I, I do like about software, and I'll talk about it from this side, we went and we built in, in both companies, we went and we built our own proprietary system, okay? That ties everything from front to the back. And I'm going to utilize it more so on the on the cabinet side because we've built templates based off of timing, how it takes for each product for us. Once we write it up and enter into the system and purchase it, it backloads everything from when we have to purchase the raw goods, to when we have to mill those raw goods, to when we have to finish them, to when we have to assemble them, to when we have to have them packaged, to when we have to have them delivered. It times all of that out, and then it also works with billing and all those types of things and ties it together. When you manage it properly, it's fantastic. Yeah. I mean, it gives me a perfect workflow. It gives me a perfect snapshot of where we're at. It tells me how many times building, you know, builder dates have moved because we track that as well, and I can get a report of all these types of things immediately and find our inefficiencies only because all of the users that have access to this are making sure we utilize it properly so the information ties off. And when you do that, I mean, it's almost like, this is going to sound dumb, but it's almost magical <laughs> because you can pinpoint stuff as need be to make the you know, micro adjustments you need to for profitability or speed or whatever it is. 
But when you, but when you have, you know, the same thing is we have all this at our use. If we're not updating and doing the things that we need to and moving things as they happen real time, we would have just spent a bunch of money on something that would have been super cool, but useless because we're not using it properly. Yeah. So because we're in a capitalistic society, there's ways to cut that stuff out and you can hand it over to a robot. Uh, so there's been a, a improvements in, in the robot and drone development world where they, they now have robots that will do uh, site inspections for you. So there's this company called Doxel that has a, a AI robot. It looks like, um, oh, what is that? That little vacuum cleaner that goes around uh, the house. Roomba? Yeah. Roomba? yeah, yeah, yeah. So it looks similar to that, but it can go upstairs. And uh, if you go to their website, I think it's doxel.com or something like that. D-O-X-E-L. So this little robot just cruises around your job site and scans where the air conditioning system is supposed to be in. Uh, how the framing is, and it can document uh, a report that tells you, you know, if you're 60% on track or behind, and then it sends that report to your iPhone uh, that breaks down, you know, where you're at on the project progress. Sounds cool. I would just imagine there's limitations to, you know, yeah, not that anybody can just go out and walk a job site, but you should see some of the conditions I'm about to go walk in a multifamily right now. Yeah, I, I don't see a robot or a Roomba being able to make it through <laughs> these big old ditches I'm going to have to jump over and all this other stuff. You know what I mean? So again, maybe, maybe it comes into drones and stuff like that, but it's got to be secondary. I mean, because ultimately, there's a lot of things that machines just can't do and they can't quite get to yet. You know what I mean? From an intelligence standpoint and that type of stuff. I'm not saying everybody in construction is overly intelligent. But there's still little things that are going to have to be up to human nature. You yeah. Know, you know what I'm saying? It's just not quite to that point yet. Yeah. And then on the on the manual labor side, there's a um, back in 2017, Vice put out a, a, a little report where they did. Um, have you guys heard of this robot named Sam? He's a uh, a brick laying robot. I don't know Sam. I've not met Sam yet before. <laughs> <laughs> this is Sam. It's a robot put together with off-the-shelf parts by a company called Construction Robotics. It looks more like a chest freezer than C-3PO, but it can lay more than 3,000 bricks a day once it gets going. The best human masons can do about 1,000, and Sam never makes mistakes or gets tired. I have to tell you, Sam is awesome. I've seen <laughs> Sam, and I think that thing's rad. Yeah. I just I just Googled Sam, and apparently Sam's been around for a while. Yeah. These articles go back to 2016. Pretty yeah. impressive. Yeah, so Sam's been around for a while. There's been a recent advancement uh, called Hadrian X. And this is like, a, it's not a little robot that kind of carts around the site. This is, a, I think it's a, tr it comes in on a truck. It's a giant arm. And it does the mixing, this uh, mortar mixing. It cuts its own bricks, and the arm just kind of propels out to wherever you need it to go. And this one, uh, Hadrian X, can lay um, a thousand or more bricks per hour. Uh, he far exceeds Sam. So, oh, and then the the one other thing that I was going to mention is uh, a drone uh, that does sight scanning. Um, and I saw this cool um, demo of, what is it, 3DR site scan, 
the drone flies around and it makes 3d images uh like a 3d model of your site and it can tell topography and and all these different things all this data that you need um when you're doing land development so there's a lot of cool advancements uh on the construction site but let's jump ahead into uh on the development side michelle there's there's been quite a few the usage of instagram on the home building and development site is probably one of the biggest and most obvious. So you're talking social media and uh, social media marketing and how we're exactly uh, I know how we're communicating with our our consumer or our home buyer. Yeah, I know you guys are pretty active on it. We are. Um, it you know going back to just kind of what we were talking about. I think with some of these these technologies that are happening in the world, but yet haven't quite infiltrated into our everyday business of, of construction and home building um, and really just production. When you kind of look at the home construction side, you know, I, I'll go straight to our own company website and we say your, your home comes standard with smart technology from the industry's leading brands. And so what we're talking about is, you know, window technology, thermostats, faucets, um, and, and just other things. And it kind of goes back to what we talked about on the last podcast with, uh, is it well homes mm. yeah. or, you know, lead, there's lead construction and there's well. And so the whole idea being that, you know, these technologies ought to give the homeowner peace of mind that, that their new home is working in a smart way to save energy, save costs and, and essentially promote health and, and provide peace of mind. So some of these things that you see are, you know, with windows, it's the dual glazed windows, ultraviolet coating, things that are increasing uh, insulation to, you know, offset extreme heat temperatures and extreme cold temperatures. It's things like, uh, you know, installing Nest as, as your thermostat. So you have the smart thermostat. So when you're on your way home from work, and you've been away from your house for the last 10 hours, you can you can literally go onto your smartphone and turn on your air conditioning so that when you walk into your home, the air conditioning is already going, and yet you've not had that air conditioning running for the last 10 hours when no one's even been there. So it's kind of doing things like that. You know, one of the things that we've talked about in previous episodes is solar panel. So solar panels paneling everything in your home, having a system that, that quite literally sort of uh, manages your energy uh, usage where, you know, at the end of the month, you you truly are saving costs because you're not utilizing, you know, the utility company's grid, you're, you're sort of powering your own, your own home. And so one of the things that we've done as a home builder is we've just made that standard. Uh, we don't, you know, we don't uh, expect a homeowner to have to make that decision of, do I pay extra or do I, do I forego having that, that technology? Yeah. Um you know, and then there's there's other things like just the way that faucets and shower heads operate. You know, there, there are things now that are being done that that you know, from a technological standpoint, um, offer significant water savings, which then you know reduces bills. So those are kinds of the things that are more consumer driven. And then of course there's things like you know the Alexa Home or 
you, you know, now every so often you'll go into a home and maybe not so much on the production home building side, but more on the custom home building side where you'll, you'll open a hall closet and then boom, there it is, this giant, almost robot looking thing that's powering all of the TVs and it's powering the surround sound speaker system. And it's, you know, powering the speakers that are outdoors and it allows you to, you know, turn on the barbecue, right? So you've kind of got this, this home robot, if you will. Um, so there's things like that, but that hasn't yet, at least to my knowledge, hasn't really infiltrated into a production home building model. Yeah. I think you're still really only seeing that more on a custom home building side of, of our business, but I think it'll be really interesting. I mean, we're sort of on the very, we've barely begun to scratch the surface. It's like the iceberg, right? There's so much more depth there that we just haven't really, I think, figured out how to implement into the production of home building. And, yeah. and what I mean by that is ultimately, you know, home builders are, are, you know, and I don't necessarily mean this literally, but we're widget makers. We're all about, you know, we, we have a certain number of homes in a, in a job site. We have an expectation that we're going to sell and close, or I should say sell four homes at least per month. And we're all about just moving through that production in a consistent fashion. Like you don't want, you know, ebbs and flows. You don't want to be sitting on standing inventory that you've already, that you've already constructed and, and haven't yet sold. Um, and you don't want to be, you know, building and selling 10 or 12 or 13 homes per month because then you're, you know, technically leaving money on the table because your, your price point maybe isn't as high as it should be. You're priced under, under market. So we're all about kind of the production in the home building space. And so the question then becomes, how do we continue to advance and, and sort of move the needle on the technologies that we are? you know, putting inside a home as standard features, not as options or upgrades. Yeah. And I think we'll see, I think we'll see a lot more of that. I go back to what I said earlier about the iPad, you know, I would not be surprised if, you know, in the next five to 10 years, sort of a kind of an iPad computer system is installed in a wall, right? And now it's just, everything's touchscreen. So you walk in your, you know, through your garage door and then you've got sort of a screen, a touch screen for you to, you to play with. And you're seeing that even like take a refrigerator, right? So Samsung um, has been pretty cutting edge on their, their refrigerators where the refrigerator talks to you. The refrigerator tells you when you need to order, you know, Amazon delivery for your food. It tells you when you're out of milk. And so it does things like that. And, and again, we're not as a home builder offering Samsung refrigerators that have that smart technology, but at some point that is going to become just the expectation. <laughs> yeah. It's not there yet. You know, it's certainly not there yet. And we still have a lot of homeowners who, who choose to not even have us install a refrigerator. They bring in their own. And a lot of times it's an old refrigerator, but it's like, Hey, that's a 1500 to $2,000 expense that they can save on. But eventually in enough time, it'll be expected that your refrigerator has that smart technology. Yeah. Well, I think that's the key thing that you're saying, because all the stuff, Michelle, that you're talking about is available. You know what I mean? You can do complete home automation with the iPad and all those different types of things. I mean, a lot of the low voltage companies offer all that type of stuff. But I think more so the question becomes, when is it just part of what you get, right? When is it really just what's an included feature? And this is just a way of life and, it's kind of how it is, you know, maybe like solar panels are all going to be included at some point. It might have to with the new title 24s in a lot of ways. Right. But I think it's just 
a lot of these things are there, but it's just a cost. And it's a cost that the builder would have to build in to the price of the home that their directs just can't handle right now until either a, you know, appreciation happens, land cost comes down or buyers really view it as a value and are willing to pay for it. It's got to be one of those three, you know? Yeah, you're exactly right. It it is just that because even I think about my own personal situation, I, you know, I own a home, I own a home that was built in the fifties, late fifties. I bought it as a resale, obviously. And, you know, it's a pretty turnkey home. It, but when I think about sort of the bells and whistles that are, are actually available to me, I'm, you know, not in any big rush and I'm even a millennial and I'm not in any big rush to go say, Hey, I absolutely need to have nest in my home and I'm willing to pay for it. Or I need to have, you know, the ring technology, which I know is not very expensive, but there's a lot of things out there that are absolutely available. But even as a home consumer, I don't feel the urge or the necessity to have some of these technologies. I'm just not there. And I don't feel like, like I'm missing out necessarily. Could it make things easier? Sure. But do I need my refrigerator to tell me when I'm out of milk? Mm, not really. <laughs> well, you know, what's funny is like, I, I personally, I have ring. We have the doorbell thing, right? I don't have the full system, but we got a ring doorbell. We've got the nest. I love the nest, right? There's a few little things that we have that, or it would be considered home automation. But I'll tell you the one thing that a lot of people think about when they're not working and I want them to work, I'm pissed. You know what I mean? It's the most frustrating thing ever when it's like my nest can't find the home network. What do you mean you can't find the home network? It was set up. It's here. You know, those types of things. Right. So it's almost one of these other things. Do you want to provide these items as a builder to buyers that are going to be another service ticket? This isn't working like it's supposed to, you know what I mean? The whole house is automated and you've got automated shades. You got all this kind of stuff. One of the shades isn't working. What kind of man hours and time is it going to take to go figure out why that's happening? How many additional service people do you have to have to be able to go take care of that? Now you got a bad survey because one of the items in the house that's supposed to be home automated isn't working properly. I mean, these are the other things that we got to look at because I know we're not in the first iteration of home automation, but it's still somewhat new and there's a lot of bugs to be worked out. So it becomes one of those things too, is when do you really want to introduce these things, um, you know, right away or do you wait for the second or third iteration, you know? Yeah, and it takes a lot of investment to just, you know, learn how to use these things. Uh, sometimes they have a mind of their own. I know our Nest, which was required to be installed by our uh, apartment, it, it turns on and off on its own when we don't want it to be on. And so if you if you don't stay on top of that stuff, it can kind of run awry on you. <laughs> but let's talk about a little technology that's a little bit further out there as far as really dramatically affecting uh, development. Uh, I don't know if you guys have heard of blockchain. Heard they, very, very little. Yeah. Very little. And I've heard of it coming, but I don't know. I don't know much about it. It's yeah, it's a bear of a topic that I don't want to get too far into the details because I'm not an expert, but just want to give a basic description. Um, for people to start looking out for and, and have a little bit of an understanding. So it's essentially a database that has no controller. So that's what they call decentralized. So this database is part of a network of computers. So there's several points for this database and they all have the same information. And if one of those uh, points, uh, data points, one of those computers does not reflect what the other computers say, they will reject that information and it is not accepted. 
So it's basically what Bitcoin's built on, right? Exactly. Yeah. So, so with that knowledge, blockchain is basically used as a digital ledger for people to exchange anything, uh, property, services, whatever. It's and it allows for a direct peer-to-peer connection point to to sell goods, removing third parties essentially from any sort of exchange. And by the way, one interesting thing about that when you're saying removing third parties. In a lot of ways, when it comes to currency, that's removing government as well. Exactly. So the yeah. the thought is that it cuts tons of costs. So that's out there right now. And I believe there has been some property exchange through blockchain and and all the stuff that we know of with uh, Bitcoin and, and all the cryptocurrency. Uh, that's all based off of the blockchain uh, foundation. So that'll be interesting to see as it sort of unfolds in the the building industry as people start to exchange property through that sort of avenue um builders potentially getting involved i uh yeah i question um again i don't know a lot about it and i I do know that it is going to be a topic of conversation going forward but you know i i do my concern is if there is no one to call (laughs) right so if there's if there's no people involved what happens when something goes awry and i'll I'll bring it down to a very very basic example i I recently stayed at a quote-unquote hotel which was more like an airbnb i think but it was like a literal hotel there were all these rooms and everything but when, when you make the reservation they send you a door code and then they give you instructions that you're that once you enter the room, you then have a second door code to your actual. So the door code is to enter the hotel. And then the second door code they give you is to enter your room. And then in your room is a parking card. And then you have to go down to your car, use that parking card to park in their garage in the space that was pre-assigned to you. So everything is is done automated, right? But what came to light the following day when it was 1050 and I wanted to request it a late checkout is that there quite literally was no one to call mm-hmm. and I had no point of contact. So that's a very, very basic you know, example of what happens, you know, when you start utilizing this blockchain technology or even the Bitcoin and, and there's a problem, there's a, you know, a, there's something, someone, something or someone has hacked the system, which I think inevitably happens. And, you know, they say the, the foundation of Bitcoin has been solid, but the hacking has, has uh has been an issue so yeah i think for bitcoin i think they're hacking some other uh, software not necessarily the blockchain part of it on the blockchain part of it it's supposed to be in quotes unhackable or near unhackable where these you know if something is not read properly on one of those computers it shuts everything down of that uh transaction and it's just not accepted so you so nothing happens you wouldn't lose any money um you just have to reinitiate the the transaction um but yeah that is a very concerning thing to know that there's no no one in control <laughs> but um let's jump ahead and try and wrap up with architecture uh we have a lot of overlap as far as VR and augmented reality and then those social technologies all helping with consumer connections, being able to literally gauge their 
uh, preference on one design or another on Instagram before you even put extra time into it. Uh, I've seen a lot of builders put, do you like the option A or option B? And then people select. So now they know going forward, this is the option that most people like. Uh, same thing for architecture. Put out those designs and get gauge reaction from that. And from a marketing standpoint, a lot of architects are using Instagram to show the process and show what an architect does because a lot of people don't really understand what we do um, and the value that we bring to the table. So it's been a huge game changer and a, and a plus for a lot of architects, especially smaller firms that don't have the, the marketing budget that the larger firms do. And then through the design process, using VR to engage customers, uh, clients with being fully immersed into that space and, and seeing how they like it. And you can make tweaks and adjustments. Uh, I know some builders are trying to go down a direction of minimizing the home, the model homes that they build and going with a, a VR type of setup to sort of reduce some of the costs. I don't know how far you can get away with that, but there's a lot of stuff like that going on. And then specifically to architecture, the software advancements are coming super fast and furious. And before I get into that, the, the interesting thing about architecture, you know, in the past, there was a, a talent required for architecture. You, aside from just having problem solving design capabilities, you literally had to be able to draw to, to produce the work. And as we got into the, all of these uh, computer aided drafting programs, it sort of leveled the playing field. So a lot more people could be a, an architect in quotations, um, not necessarily that you had a license, but a lot of people were able to, to draft using these programs which also lowered the costs. There's always someone cheaper that can do it. Uh, so that was sort of a, a hit to architecture. And now we're getting into more uh, advanced programs that do a lot more, that do 3D and, and all these different things to make that pretty picture. So the, the artistry of architecture has kind of gone by the wayside, but there's still that level of problem solving and design capability that's really critical there's this uh, this sort of internal battle within the profession of all of these advancements and how much is that going to take away from architects while we're still trying to fight to get sort of uh, respect, I guess, for, for lack of a better word, because um, there's always someone cheaper now that can use these programs. And there's, there's this huge sort of battle when people trying to move forward, move the profession forward. And there's a fight on, do you embrace all of this technology, including one that's coming up, AI, or do you just, uh, do you fight it tooth and nail, or do you embrace it? In my opinion, I think we embrace it at this point, and, you know, try and control where it goes, engage in all of these companies, uh, and give input on how we can utilize these to best facilitate what we're trying to do. Um, and it just advances or it just makes it more important to have that skill of uh, problem solving and design capabilities. And you can have all of these tools that cut the time in half on all the other things that you need to do. 
because nobody really wants to draw these minute details and, and move the bathroom one inch to the left and one inch to the right or whatever the case may be. So if you can have a robot do it, that'd be better. Uh, because I, I think we ultimately all just want to produce better work, uh, higher quality work and, and really good spaces for, um, you know, all the users that are going to use that space. But the, the caveat to that and the bad part of that is that we will inevitably lose thousands of jobs in our profession. So same thing for, for any of these uh, across the industry and across the workforce in general. Unfortunately, we're going to lose a lot of jobs, but uh, it just kind of switches to, I think, uh, coding and maintenance are going to be kind of the next new wave of, of, of workforce that that uh, that we need to start to look at. Your comment early about architects previously needing a talent, right? They needed to be a, not only a creative individual and problem solver, but but the pure talent of being able to draw and draft and write, you know, that, that, that literally was an art and you're spot on that that has evolved as things have become more computer centric uh, with CAD drawing, like, so blueprints, they're not really blueprints they're just they're CAD drawings that are printed on big white paper now. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's actually one of the, the very reasons I switch majors because I actually you know, I was drawn to the drawing side of the business and actually having a drafting table and, you know, paperweight and not paperweights, sorry, pencil weight and, you know, all of these sort of sketching and, and bubble diagrams and things of that nature that went into the design and, and, and that sort of program. Yeah. Um, so I think everything you've said about, about your field is, is true. And what the funny thing you mentioned about the drawings, some people predict that we're actually going to go completely away from paper at some point in the near future with uh, building information modeling, uh, BIM. It's a, a, a model that if you know how to use it, you can run software to to check code and all these different things, get all the data that you need, a future where we don't print 2d drawings anymore we just send the model to the plan checker uh he runs it through his check it's good to go you get your permit and then it gets to the field and everybody's wearing uh the ar glasses the hololens glasses and the model's just there in front of them and they just nail it down and and do everything right then and there without ever having a paper in front of them which would be a exciting and scary future Absolutely. Uh, and I, I think there's something to be said about being able to have something in front of you and have different colored markers and draw things up and circle and move. And, you know, there's something to be said about the tangibleness of, of not being tied into a computer screen. Uh, my two cents, but I, I've always worked better with something in front of me than, than something that's on a screen. Yeah. I know personally, I, I come up with uh, design solutions a lot faster uh, and get through a lot of options a lot faster when it's pen to paper and even just seeing it. I think some people can understand a little bit better and see how to manipulate a plan, I guess, when it's on a printed paper. If you're out in the field uh, seeing it on paper, you can see the connection to different spaces a lot better. 
So I'm not quite sure that we'll get all the way there to where we get rid of paper completely um, because I think there is some use to it. But again, all of these things, there, there's a there's a, a middle ground that we have to find because, you know, everybody wants things cheaper but faster. <laughs> so you have to find some middle ground. So I think we got a lot, uh, a little bit of a road to go to figure out this this sweet spot. But uh, we're working our way there. But I, I don't think people should be afraid of uh, technology. Um, embrace it and, and be proactive about about what is coming if you don't have a, a technology strategist on your on your team after this podcast start to look for one because there's so much coming uh there's so much that's out there right now that we have to you know start to get comfortable with utilizing because it it's gonna come one way or another so um better to be aware of it now than to be completely lost when it finally uh overwhelms us so if you guys don't have anything else, we will wrap up for today. I think we covered it barely, but but uh, at least enough for us to all kind of noodle on and think about going forward. <laughs> yes, definitely. Uh, no, we're going to skip listener mail for today. If you want to comment about anything that, that we mentioned today, uh, feel free to reach out to us to hello at spacespodcast.com. We're on social media everywhere at Spaces Podcast. And tell us about what technologies you all are seeing, because I'm afraid we're we're missing a bunch of things because we just simply don't know about them. Yeah, I'm sure we are. Um, so other than that, thank you again for spending some time with us. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate and like it and forward the link to a friend. Your support is the only way that the show grows. And if you just stumbled upon the show, don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss another episode. Also, check out spacespodcast.com under the Listen tab. We have photos and notes on things that we discussed today. Uh, follow us on, on Facebook, um, Instagram. We put different information in different locations so uh, and LinkedIn. So, so follow us and, and stay connected. But before you go, next time on Spaces Podcast. The Green Micro Gym is as much an idea as it is... Uh, any physical place. Really what it is, is it's a small space where you can exercise and you can use the exercise equipment to make electricity. When people were exercising on this equipment, the electricity is going right back into the gym using normal wall outlets and helping power the gym. That's something Jason can add quite a bit to. Oh yeah. Gym rat. <laughs> And with all of that said, if you're catching up, hit next. Or if you're listening as we put these out, we'll see you in a couple weeks. Thanks. Hey, architecture firm owners and emerging leaders. Get ready for unparalleled insight into the development of a world-class architecture firm and a worldwide organization driving the digital transformation of the design and construction industry with Build Smart, the podcast that's changing how our profession operates. We share the incredible stories behind innovation in the building industry with my friend and co-host Patrick McLaney, FAIA, former CEO of the international architecture firm HOK. You know, Yamasaki's 
office or firm lasted during his lifetime. And when he passed away, I think that was the end of the Yamasaki office. Helmut did not want that. He wanted a firm that would live out and grow beyond the founders. In season one, discover the untold stories behind HOK's meteoric rise. From 150 employees in St. Louis to a powerhouse with over 1,900 staff members and 27 offices worldwide. You know, they weren't as polite as the Kojima people. That was just boom. And anytime you have a creditor, whether it's Kojima or the bank, that wants their money, unless you can raise money someplace else, you are out of business. Bankrupt. Bankrupt. And hold on tight for season two, where Patrick takes us on a new adventure as chairman of Building Smart International, shaping the future of digital transformation in the design, construction, and operation of built assets. Ian Howell, Ken Harold, and I, Ken was my technical representative from HOK. The three of us took a tour of Europe of five cities in five days. Very busy time. Simply follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Build Smart Now and uncover lessons that will transform you and your architecture firm.